Welcome to Souls Harbor's weekly podcast. We believe that God has called us to lead people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, help them grow to be like Jesus, and involve them in reaching lost people. Listen now to this week's message. This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. I want to share this morning a message I've wanted to preach for some time out of the book of Deuteronomy. I actually had several sermons put together months and months ago and never just felt the time was right. And this week as I begin to pray and try to find some direction, uh, this is where I believe the Holy Spirit took me back to. I'm going to talk this morning about, again, our nation and our society and some directional things. And you say, Pastor Barry, you preached on that kind of stuff last week and few weeks ago, and I don't expect to become the preacher that this is an every week thing, but you know, when God says go to a place and your heart can't leave that place, then that's where you go, that's what you preach, and I, I just trust him. Americans are being told right now by some in our society that we need to deconstruct our society and reconstruct it. We need to deconstruct America, and we need to reconstruct it. You say, Pastor Barry, who's saying that? Well, I mean, there are some that are explicitly saying it. They're just coming out and saying America stinks, and we just need to change it, and it's horrible, and get rid of it. But we also have the more, it's not subtle, that's not the right word. When you you begin to riot and pull down statues and and I mean, that's not subtle, but it's implied, I think, that what we have is, is not good. We've got a, a, a group of Americans that are telling us that we need to erase, we need to deconstruct and reconstruct the very fabric of our, our, our country. We need to get rid of names, and we need to get rid of history, and... and, and I always try to see both sides of a situation. I think it's the right thing to do. And if there is a push to get rid of some of our statues, that if, if they celebrate a portion of our history that was very negative, slavery and some of the very just wrong things that have happened in our country, I, I get that. I heard somebody ask Ben Shapiro, who happens to be Jewish, he's a conservative talk show host, ask him, said, how would you feel about a statue of Adolf Hitler uh, in your town? And he said, horrible. I wouldn't support that. I wouldn't want that. I would do everything I could to get rid of it. And I'll be honest with y'all, I get that. And I'm even fine with that. But the way you do that and where this sermon's going to go is not by putting a chain around it and pulling it down, but by passing legislation because we're a nation of laws, right? Some of those things probably do need to come down if they're on public property. But we're being told it's time to deconstruct. We have too much social injustice. We have too much wealth disparity. We have too much gender and racial inequality. We have too many Judeo-Christian values. I remember a few years ago when the, the push was to get the Ten Commandments out of our public buildings, and I understood the logic behind it, but you know, I can remember one 
one, I don't know if it was a politician or a commentator or a news person, said, you know, it, maybe it was even within a, a judicial review. If we, if we continue to leave those Ten Commandments in the schools, some child, some kid is likely to walk up to them and read them and do them. How horrible would that be? We're told that there's too many Judeo-Christian values and some are saying we're too white to allow the existing system to continue. Now listen, there is without a doubt a need in America for more justice and I don't think anybody would argue against that and, and there is a need for change. I mean, that's not unreasonable. That's not crazy. There is always a need for change. We've came a long ways from where we were in 1776. We've come a long ways from where we were in the 1850s and the 1950s, and we still got plenty of room to go. That's not unreasonable. But that's different than saying, let's just recreate our society. Say, Pastor Bray, what does any of this have to do with the Bible? Hang with me. I will show you. This, this is going somewhere. And I would say to those that want to recreate a nation, they need to be careful that what they create doesn't end up being worse than what they destroyed. It isn't the first time people have tried to deconstruct and reconstruct a nation. Can I give you some examples? There was this thing right after the American Revolution, there was a thing in France called the French Revolution. You ever heard of it? We don't study it a lot, but it's a real thing. It went on for quite a few years, and in those quite a few years, it was mob rule, it was rule by the sword, it was rule by whoever had the greatest power, it was rule by riot, and the way it worked was it, when you came to power, you executed, decapitated, beheaded with the guillotine the ones that were in power prior to you, finally lost the, the king, they, they executed him and his wife, but then what began to happen as years progressed, those that were in power, begin to, they begin to be overthrown by a bigger mob and another mob, and they were beheaded, and, the, and it went on until finally the country hit a place where thousands and thousands and thousands had been executed, and a man by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte came to power. And came pretty close to conquering the world. Can I give you some examples? There were, in Russia at one time, emperors called czars. And they were overthrown. Probably needed to be overthrown. It was a totalitarian regime. Probably needed to be overthrown. But what they were overthrown with became the Soviet Union and communism, where Stalin killed millions and millions of people. Can I give you some examples? China. Same thing. When the communists came to power, millions and millions lost their lives. We can go closer to home. We could talk about Cuba. We could talk about Castro stepping into power in Cuba and the last decades that we've had of people thrown in prison and, 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 and the, the economic depravity that the nation suffers through to this day. You see, when we deconstruct, we have to be careful because what we reconstruct may end up being worse than what we destroyed. So, Pastor Barry, when are we going to get to the Bible? Right now. Deuteronomy chapter 1. 
I want to give you this morning, and this is why I gave you that introduction, that, that prelude to what I want to preach. There is another example of, of a nation being deconstructed and reconstructed. And I believe at this juncture in our country where we're at, it, it does us well and would do anybody that would hear this message well, be it through the podcast or the Facebook live feed or you all just hearing it this morning, we would do well to stop and look at how God deconstructed a nation and how God reconstructed a nation and why he did it. That's what we're going to see this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 1. We're going to go through the first 20 verses this morning and I want to talk about God's process of deconstructing and reconstructing. Let me give you a little bit of the backstory. Let me, let me read verses 1 through 5 and then give you a little bit of the backstory. These are the words that Moses spoke to all of Israel beyond the Jordan and the wilderness in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hezboroth, and Dizba. It's 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them after he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, in Edrei, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab. And let's just take a moment there and let me give you the backstory. but let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning over your word, over your message. Lord, I believe your Holy Spirit gave me these words to say, and I ask you this morning as I share these thoughts, I share your scripture, I share how you reconstructed a nation, that you, you help me to speak what you want spoken and not what comes from my own frailties as, as a person. I pray this morning your Holy Spirit be in this room, guide us and direct us, and God, we ask you to bless our country in Jesus' name, amen. So let's go back in some time, and let me just talk some history, and I want to do this fast because I'm on a you know, time window here this morning. God decided I need to bring a Savior into the world, and in order to do that, I'm going to need a nation. I'm going to need a people. And he pulled Abraham out of the, the nation of Ur, and he brought him in and made him the father of a future nation and said, I will bless you. And Abraham, I want you, Abraham, to make me your God, and I'm your only God, and I make a covenant with you. Abraham lived up to those expectations imperfectly, but he lived up to them, and God blessed him. And out of Abraham became, came a man by the name of Isaac. Isaac was the son of Abraham, and God looked at his son and said, Isaac, son of Abraham, I'm going to make the same covenant with you. It continues on, I want to bless you because I need a nation, I need a people, I need a country. Out of Isaac became, came Jacob, and, and the, the grandson of Abraham, and God said, it continues on, the covenant continues on because I need a nation. You all with me? How's that for three generations in 15 seconds? I need a nation. And out of Jacob, who was renamed, don't miss this, he was renamed by God, you are now called Israel. Out of Jacob came 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the start of the nation of Israel or the future nation of Israel. Those 12 sons and Jacob, who became Israel, they were carried into captivity, into slavery. They, they ended up in captivity and slavery in Egypt. And while in Egypt for 400 years, God blessed them and they had babies who had babies who had babies who had lots of babies and there were a lot of them. And God came along and said, I see the oppression, I see the abuse, I see the slavery. I remember my promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and I still need a nation so I can bring a savior into this world and I'm bringing you out of that place. And he brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
You read in in Exodus, I believe it's chapter 3, it says, when they came out, the children of Jacob or the children of Israel came out of Egypt, but along with them came what's called a mixed multitude. They came out with sinners. They came out with heathen. They came out with all kinds of false god servers. there, There was a whole mess of them that the Egyptians had enslaved that came out with them, and they came out, and God took them out across the Red Sea. You all know the story. Took them into the desert, took them to a mountain called Mount Sinai also known as Horeb. And while they were there, he said these words. He said, I make you my nation. I have created you. He makes this statement. He says, Whatever God, what other God in the whole world ever, in all of time, what other God has ever taken a people that weren't a people and made them a people? Taken a people that weren't a nation, that were a mob, and made them a nation. Only God can do that, but he did it. And he took his nation, the children of Israel, and he brought them from Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, he brought them to what he called the promised land, and he said, all right, I've got you here, I've brought you here, I've given you some laws, the commandments at Sinai, you're a people of laws, now go in and take the land and I will bring it to you. And you know what they said? No. We're good, God. We kind of like it out here where there's no giants. Can we just hang out out here for a while, God? And God said, No, I didn't bring you here to just hang out for a while. I brought you here with a purpose because I need a nation that will serve me in faith that I can bring a savior through. And he told them, he told the nation of Israel, he said, that's it. And his wrath was stirred up. God was was not happy with him. He said, all right, you like it out here so well. Why don't you go back to the mountain where I brought you from? Go back to the wilderness and you wander around in there for 40 years. And when you all have died off, I will bring I will bring your children out, and that's how God recreated a nation. Now this morning, where we're going to pick up in Deuteronomy is God, we're 38 years later, 39 years later, and God is now talking to the children. Moses is still there, and God is telling them through Moses, okay, kids, okay, new nation, okay, recreated nation, okay, nation of Israel that's now going to take the promised land. Here are the things that really matter, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want us to look at some principles, some realities that come out of Deuteronomy Um, that that tell us what this nation ought to be. Now, it's a little flipped on its head because in many ways you're going to hear this and you're going to see this nation's already this. But let's look at this together this morning. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. Moses undertook to explain this law saying, so he's talking to the new generation now, and, and this new generation, he's saying, okay, new generation that's recreating a nation, This is what I want you to know. He's explaining to them the law. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb or Sinai or the mountain where the law was given, you've stayed long enough at this mountain and now I'm getting ready to take you out. And this is my first point in principle this morning. A nation needs to be a nation of laws. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? The place we start, we're, we're recreating a nation, supposedly, but, or maybe we're going to decide, you know what, maybe what we've got just needs some tweaking. It's not that bad. A nation has got to be a nation of laws. And God put that out there for this recreated nation of Israel, said, you are a people of laws. I'm starting you here at the mountain where I gave you the law. You say, Pastor Greg, yeah, but that was, that, was, that, was, that was Jewish laws. That was Old Testament laws. Okay, that's fair. Absolutely. And, and I would suggest to you that America, although we've done a poor job at times living up to it, and we've never managed to live up to the ideals, but we are a nation that was built on a foundation of the Ten Commandments. 
Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not give false witness. We began as a nation, our laws as a nation are laws that are built upon these laws that were given at Mount Sinai. Right? We need to be a nation of laws. And those that want to recreate us as a nation of lawlessness, the anarchists, the ones that want to push that we just need to do away with the police and we need to do away with the laws and we need to change the system, my question would be, okay, fine, we've missed in some areas, we've not done well in some areas, we've got a lot of places we could fix and change and, and do better, but have you got something better that's been tried somewhere else for 200 years and had success? We're a nation of laws. Say, Pastor Barry, I don't like this mask mandate. I'll be honest with you, I didn't say it earlier, but I will now. I don't either. I don't like it. Who wants to wear a mask? It's uncomfortable. And those of you that are wearing a mask, I'm not criticizing you. Good for you. Nothing wrong with that. I just don't like them. When I walk into a place where it's, I'm asked to wear a mask, you know what I do? Put a mask on. Or I choose to not go into the restaurant, right? I mean, that, that, we're a nation of laws. When I walk up to somebody and, and I can tell they're uncomfortable that I don't have a mask on, you know what I do? I put a mask on. You know why? Because we're a nation of laws. The Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, the 613 that came out of that, it's all summed up in the New Testament laws, which Jesus put this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you'll do those two things, then you take care of all the other laws. So when I walk up to somebody that doesn't have a mask on, and I, or has a mask on, and I see they're uncomfortable with me not having a mask on, you know what I do? I put on a mask. You know why? Because I choose to live by laws, the law that I will love of my neighbor as myself. Right? I don't really have a problem with wearing masks. They're just uncomfortable. And, you know, I don't know whether, they're, whether it's constitutional for the, the, the governor to do this or not. I have questions, but that's not my battle. That's not my fight. You want to be a nation, we've got to get back to the reality that we are a nation of laws. We're at, how many, can I ask you guys a question and you be completely honest with me? Will you, will you? How many of you have ever sat down and read from the beginning to the end the Constitution of the United States of America? Can I see your hands? One, two, three, four. Four. I never have. Oh, I, I know the pieces and the parts, I, 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 but I, I've never read it. How many of you were taught... I mean, if you've never read it, my guess is not very many. How many of you were taught about the Constitution, the law, the Constitution of the United States of America in school? How many of you were taught? I wasn't. I mean, we were aware of it. It was not that anybody was against it. I just don't remember ever having a class where somebody sat down and, hey, you need to read this thing. We are a nation of laws. And I, I would encourage you, if you've never read it, you ought to get it out and read it. It's a pretty cool document. Is it perfect? No, not by a long shot. But you know what its foundation is? The law that was given at Mount Sinai. Do you know what its foundation is? Do you know what its, its principles are built upon? It's built upon Jesus' first and second commandments. We are a nation of laws. Law of the land is something that in Romans, Paul tells us, we're to obey. We're to obey. You say, Pastor Barry, I go over the speed limit all the time. Does that mean I'm going to hell? I'm going to let you and Jesus work that one out. All right? I, you know?
It's probably justification, but in my mind, as long as I'm not more than five miles over, I'm okay. I figure if Chris will let me get away with it, Jesus probably will too, but that, but that probably won't do me much good on Judgment Day, so I've got to be careful with that. And, I, and, and don't you dare tell Jesus someday that Pastor Barry said it was okay. <laughs> this is how you create firestorms, all right? So just ignore, I didn't say any of that, just didn't hear that. We're a nation of laws. When we stop being a nation of laws, we become like other ty- tyrannical totalitarian, ruled-by-force nations, and we stop being a great nation when we stop being a nation of laws. We've got anarchists. We've got Antifa. We've got portions of Black Lives Matter. We've got a new one called NFAC. Black Militia is kind of their code name. Listen, every one of those have a right to exist in a nation of laws. But they have to live within the laws. Fair, right? Turn with me or look with me at verse 9. I am not able to bear you by myself. The weight and burden of you and your strife. Choose. This is what, what, what... what Moses is saying, he's telling them, these are the principles. I'm not able to bear you by myself, the weight and burden of you and your strife. I, I just can't take it. He says, choose for you, choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, verse 15, and I set them as a head over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. We're a nation of leaders. If you're going to recreate a nation, then you better recreate a nation that is a nation of leaders. Now listen to me. Picking up a Molotov cocktail and throwing at a building doesn't make you a leader. Criticizing and complaining doesn't make you a leader. Getting behind the emotional furor that is so much of the riots, and I'm not talking about protests, I'm talking about riots that are in our streets, is not a leader. A leader is somebody that has ideas. A leader is somebody that, according to the principle I'm reading to you in Deuteronomy, is somebody that has wisdom, somebody that has understanding, and somebody that has experience. And some people are going to be qualified to lead thousands, some are going to be qualified to lead hundreds, some are going to be qualified to lead fifties, and some are going to be qualified to lead tens, and some maybe just need to learn to lead themselves well. Right? You want to recreate a nation, this is the way God did it. God pulled this next generation out and he said, listen, you remember you are a nation of laws and you are a nation of leaders. Can I tell you something? How many of you have an HOA? Do you know what I dislike more than masks? HOAs. Pay them people a lot of money, and they're always complaining about this or complaining about that. There's a commercial I've been watching here lately, maybe you've seen it, of a couple that moves into a new neighborhood, and they say the HOA's really involved, and there's a lady out there with her tape measure, and she's measuring. She says, yeah, those shrubs are two inches too tall. And then they show her with a chainsaw cutting down the mailbox. Mailbox is too tall. Well, my HOA isn't that bad, but but you know what? You, you all want to know the bottom line? I grumble and complain about the HOA a little bit, but at the end of the day, you know where that ends up? I don't want the job. 
so I don't grumble and complain too much. You know why? Because I don't want the job. I don't want to lead. I've got enough to do. And if I'm not going to be a leader, I'm not going to step, then I need to be quiet. And, and I would suggest to you this morning, listen, I, we all, we're, we're Americans, we have the right to grumble and complain about our president, our governor, our mayors, our senate, our congressmen, and all of that, and I get it, and we all have a voice, and we all have a vote, and we ought to, we ought to utilize all those things. But before we get too carried away, we better ask ourselves, do we want the job? Because if we're going to recreate a nation and we can decide whether America needs to be recreated or it just needs to be adjusted a little bit, we've got to stay a nation of laws and a nation of leaders. And, and maybe that means for some of us, we need to step into a role as a leader on a school board or step into a role as a leader in an HOA or step into a role as a leader within the church or step into a role as a leader within our company or our business, right? Because a nation that is going to be a great nation, a church that's going to be a great church, and your family, if it's going to be a great family, has got to have somebody that steps up and says, I will be a leader. I will be a person of wisdom. I will be a person of experience. I will step up and carry the load. Did you hear what Moses said? I can't take you people anymore. That's what he said. He said, I can't deal with your strife alone. Somebody's got to come along and help me. That's pretty, that's pretty direct. You know, anytime you put together more than two people, you're going to have strife. I, I, I have taken it up on myself in the last year, year and a half, before a lot of what's going on went on. I just got this I've always loved history. I wanted to learn American history. Read, read biography of George Washington, biography of John Adams, biography of, right now I'm in Alexander Hamilton. Read a couple of stories or a couple of books, nonfiction books, talking about just how the nation was created and how the, 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 the societies, the civilizations around the world, around that 20, 30-year period, were, were, were changed. France was one of them. America was one of them. Russia was one of them. I always thought the founding fathers were incredible human beings. I thought short of Jesus, they were about as perfect as you could get. I really thought in those early years of this nation, we had it together. We were on the same page, pulling the same direction, and that's why we whipped the British. You know what I found out when I actually began to read the biographies and learn about these men? They were petty. They fought. They disagreed. They had different direction and different perspectives, but they were all men who thought they were men who would talk. They were men who would fight. I mean, I'm, I'm reading Alexander Hamilton now. He, he ended up in multiple. He's like, I, I don't like you. You disrespected me, so let's handle it. Let's take it out. And they go out and have a duel and kill somebody. Seriously. I mean, that was, you think, you think politics are ugly now? They didn't get along all that much. But they still had a foundation of laws that they went to, and they still chose to be leaders and I believe there was a God piece of this. I believe there was a God hand in that. He took the mess and the pettiness and the politics uh, and, and he managed to make out of it a nation that even though we're not perfect, we, we still got issues. We didn't do a real good job of implementing a lot of it. He put together the Constitution of the United States of America, which is a pretty amazing document, right? So Pastor Barry, what's your point? Listen, don't put your leaders on too high a pedestal but also don't use the fact that you aren't perfect to keep you from stepping out and accepting the responsibility and being a leader. Fair? Amen? How do you recreate a nation? Or maybe leave it alone. Better be a nation as a nation of leaders. Nation as a nation of leaders. 
Let me do this. Let me uh, jump down to verse 19. I want to talk about this for a minute. Then we set out from Horeb, Mount Sinai, the place where the law was given, and we went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. Verse 15, uh, who, led, who, who led you through the great, talking about the same area, led you through the great and terrifying wilderness that, that it, with its fiery serp, serpents, this is actually Deuteronomy 8, 14 and 15, I'm sorry, with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. You say, Pastor Barry, what's my point? My point is this, now hear me on this. A nation that is a great nation, a people that is a great people, a church that is a great church is going to be a nation of laws, a church of laws. It is going to be a nation of leaders, a church of leaders, but it's also going to be one that is a nation or a church or a people or a family of courage, struggle, and hard work. What I just read to you, God didn't just take them out of, from Mount Sinai and take them to the promised land. He took them through the wilderness. He took them through a place that says there were scorpions. There was no water. They thought they were going to die of thirst. It was hard. We are a nation of hard workers. We're a nation of courage. We're a nation that's not afraid to struggle. Let me read you this out of, out of this biography of Alexander, Alexander Hamilton I've been reading. Let me just read you a little snippet here. Uh, this, this was written uh, in, in his journal when he was in his early 20s. Now catch that. This man was in his early 20s fighting in the Revolutionary War. January 1778, Valley Forge, returning to the army, army camp of George Washington after a serious illness. This is, this is what he ran into. He probably shuddered at the mud and log huts and slovenly state of the men who had shivered around campfires. There was a dearth of gunpowder, tents, uniforms, and blankets. Hideous sights abounded, snow stained with blood from bare bruised feet, the carcasses of hundreds of decomposing horses, troops gaunt from smallpox, typhus, and scurvy. Washington himself wrote then, for some days past there has been a little less than a famine in the camp before the winter's end. Some 2,500 men, almost a quarter of the army, perished from disease, famine, or cold. We are a nation, and any great nation, and any nation that's going to be recreated, it's going to be a nation of hard work, courage, and suffering. You don't get to the promised land without hard work, courage, and suffering. I want to show you something that, to the extent I ever get angry about anything, just made me angry, sick to my stomach. It's the most racist thing I think I've ever seen in my life, probably. And it wasn't meant to be that way. It was uh, the Smithsonian Institute. You all ever heard of it? They put this display out um, to help people understand what to watch for with whiteness. You, you need to be aware of whiteness. These are the characteristics of whiteness is what it said. I want you to see this. And I don't know if you can read it. I put, you, put it up there so you all can see it. Um, the National Museum of African American History and Culture, which is a piece of the Smithsonian Institute, uh, African-American history and culture wants to make you aware of certain signs of whiteness. These are signs that you might be white. Individualism, hard work, objectivity, the nuclear family, progress, respect for authority, delayed gratification, and more. Do you all understand how racist that is? Do you understand the, the number of Latino, Hispanic, black um, Asian 
Americans that live up to those characteristics, take me back to that if you would, that, that, those are just the, the, the details of it, every day of their life, that's, their, that's the core of their family, the core of their being, that's not characteristics of whiteness. I, I would argue that's characteristics of Americanism. Who cares what your color or your ethnic background or your religion is? Look at that. Individualism, hard work, objectivity, the nuclear family, progress, respect for authority, delayed gratification, and more. And if I had more time, I'd look at the next pages and dig into that as well. That is, that is to, to call that whiteness is ridiculous. That's Americanism. That's the, that's, that's the characteristics of a great nation. And there are people all over this nation of all colors, all backgrounds, all religions, I'll even go that far, all ethnicities that live up to those characteristics because they're American. They're not Asian American. They're not black American. They're, they're, they're not white American. They're American, right? And I look at this and I'm thinking, do we really want to deconstruct what we are to be reconstructed as this? Our, uh, and i got to bring this to a close, our presumptive nominee, Joe Biden, made a statement here, I don't know, some weeks ago now of it was made humorously, I think he was trying to be, I don't know what he was trying to be, but he made a statement about all, I'm paraphrasing, I think it was all 7-Elevens are ran by people from India or something like that. And it was a little bit crass, it was a little bit unaware, but, but, but so, I hate to agree with Joe Biden, but let me just, I'm not fully going to agree with him, but let me make a point here. He said it poorly, but you know, if you go to 7-Elevens, a lot of them are ran by people from Pakistan and India. A lot of hotels, same thing. A lot of subways, same thing. You, you go out in America today, you go to any city and you want to find a, a, a restaurant to eat at, you will have no problem finding a Mexican restaurant or a Chinese restaurant in America. There's a lot of them out there, right? A lot of them. Do you know why? Because they're hard workers, not afraid to struggle, not afraid to sacrifice, not afraid to take a chance, not afraid to live even sometimes more than one family in a home in order to help the next generation along? That has nothing to do with whiteness. That has to do with Christian values and American values. A great nation is a great nation that has the courage to struggle, to sacrifice, and to work hard. Work hard. And I'd love to spend more time on that. When I, when I read this, I got aggravated enough. I thought, i got to hear more about this. And I, I, went and I, I ended up listening to an interview between a, a liberal and a conservative on a, one of our news stations, and they were debating that display, which, by the way, it got so much pushback from the left and the right and the, the white and the black, white and black America both. That it's, been, it's not even up anymore. It's been taken down. My goodness, there are some people that have some sense in America still. Thank God for that. But I listened to, I listened to this liberal actually justify, try to justify that mentality. And the conservative asked, he said, listen, you, you say those, that's, those are signs of whiteness. Talk to me about Michael Jordan. 
the, the Michael J's, Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson. Talk to me about Oprah Winfrey. Talk to me about Tony Dungy. Talk to me about our politics go different ways, but talk to me about a Barack Obama. Barack Obama did not become president of the United States by being lazy. Right? These are the characteristics of a great nation. These are the principles laid out in Deuteronomy, and I, I, I'm going to end with this. I'm, I'm out of time. Love to have ten more minutes, but I don't. Um, listen to me, folks. We bring this to a, a point. We need to pray for our nation. You need to be careful you don't get pulled into the far conservative right perspective that is it, it, that that other ethnicities, other colors, other religious backgrounds are that much different because we're all Americans. Hard work, struggle, those principles, right? Don't, don't get pulled into that. We're all Americans, and we are all Christian Americans. You need to pray for your nation. If you're not praying for your nation every day, then you, you need to start. Because we're looking at our way of life no longer existing. And I'm not talking about a white way of life. I'm talking about an American way of life. You need to vote. You need to vote intelligently. And I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I'm not going to tell you what party to vote for. But you need to vote informed and intelligently. And you need to be a leader. You need to be, not, not be afraid to stand up and say, look, this, this, this is what made America great. I, I, don't do it belligerently. Don't do it with a gun in your hand. Don't do it with a mask over your face unless you're protecting yourself from COVID. Don't hide your identity. And if you're going to do it on social media, do it with respect and just don't even mess with trolls because there's plenty of them out there. Right? Because we're on the verge of seeing our, our, our way of life, our American way of life, completely annihilated. So, Pastor Barry, you're being a little bit dramatic. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm the least dramatic person in the world. I so don't buy into conspiracy theories. I so don't accept most of them. And maybe that was a little bit far, but I'm going to tell you, you need to be praying for your nation. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Love you guys. I appreciate you. I hope that makes sense. I hope that connects. I hope that doesn't come across racist, because I'm sure somebody will tell me it does. Somewhere. Probably on the Facebook feed. I just happen to believe Americans of all backgrounds, ethnicities, and, and even religions are, are lives worth protecting. Amen? Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. And I, I pray, God, over this nation this morning. I pray over our country. I, I pray over our leadership on both sides of the aisle. I pray, God, that there would be somehow, some way, just break the back of this spirit of of evil, this spirit of hatred, this spirit of violence that is tearing our nation apart right now. Lord, I pray out of the ugliness and out of the mess, let there truly be social justice. Let there truly be racial equality where it's not existing now. I pray, God, that you would bring something good out of the evil that we're facing right now. And I pray, God, we as your people, help us to remember that we are first followers of Christ, and secondly, followers of a party. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks.
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you're looking for a church home or are interested in what God is doing through Souls Harbor, visit us at www.soulsharborag.com. If you have an encouraging story of what God has done in your life through these podcasts, please share it with us at sharbor at indy.rr.com.